Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. Oh, but don't dial right this second because those lines have been full for about five minutes now. We'll have one available for you pretty shortly, though, uh, because we'll be getting started very quickly. It's going to be Rosa and Ezel and Shirley and Mark. And what a beautiful Sunday morning this is out there. Don't know if you've been out yet. The temperature keeps e- just easing up a little bit every morning, but, boy, it's still just a very pleasant temperature to be out and about. Hope you're sitting out in the yard listening to me, actually. It's uh, just too pretty a day to stay in. And, of course, uh, if you suffer from the heat, this is the best time of day to be out. Not going to get real hot today, and we're actually supposed to cool down a little bit over the next 10 days. But, uh, it's uh, anyway, one day at a time, and this is an absolutely good gorgeous morning so uh let's get started with phone calls and rosa is up first good morning rosa oh good morning it is a beautiful morning yes it is uh, i need to ask you my gardenia all the new leaves are coming out yellow the little ones are all coming out yellow if that means it needs more fertilizer if the old leaves are yellow it means it's gotten too dry but if the new leaves are yellow i would feed it with you know any good organic fertilizer i is is it in the pot or is it in the ground i don't remember in a pot in a pot yeah, I like liquid fertilizers in pots, and uh, I probably would get a little bit of green sand, which is your good extra iron source, and just sprinkle that around on the surface of the pot, and then give it a good thorough watering. In fact, the next two or three times you water, mix in just a little bit of Grow or another good organic liquid, the Medina Fish Fertilizer, or, you know, I think Fox Farms makes some pretty good liquid uh, um products that are organic so uh your gardenia is just a little hungry that's that's what those yellow leaves are telling you and any good fertilizer and a little extra iron should take care of it pretty quickly okay and how about my asparagus it's all ferns should i cut them all down Oh, no, 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 no. Now is the time that we need to let the asparagus grow and start storing up energy for next spring's crop. We we start harvesting in about, oh, January usually when they start coming up. And then on an established bed, we can harvest every little spear that comes up for a couple of months at least. But uh, once we get to this time of year, it's time to let them grow up and make those ferns because that's what absorbs the sun's energy. That's what puts the energy stored back into the root system so that next year we can harvest even longer. So at this point, just water and fertilize and enjoy. Boy, it's a good thing I called you. I was ready to go out there. Kind of no, 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 no. This is the time they need they need that their own little solar collector, so to speak. So uh, you can scratch that project off your list until next fall. Uh, thank you a million. Have a it's great always, day. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. See, there's a line open for you to grab right now while I say good morning to Izell. What's going on, Izell? Good morning, Bob. Morning, good sir. Good morning. It is. It is beautiful. My my sago palm. I have a, a pretty good sized sago palm. It seems that the little. Um, I think the fronds and they have the little leaves on them. Some of them are turning uh, brown. 
Okay. That's really not uncommon. Is this? Is it put on its new set of fronds for the year? No, not yet. Uh, okay. It's a pretty good size, you know. I I think that it's probably around almost six foot tall. Oh wow! Yeah, you've got a a good plant and a very valuable plant. I, you know, some of those little brown tips are really just kind of normal for a sago palm. I don't ever worry really on any plant what's the what the old growth looks like. I do want to know when it puts on its new growth, you know, how that looks because that tells you how healthy the plant is. And when you have a big plant like that, you're never gonna you never know when it's going to decide. Okay, this is a time of uh, that I want to go into a reproductive phase. And then you just skip getting new fronds for a whole year while it goes through making its reproductive part. So I would not be in any rush to, uh, you know, to cut back the old fronds unless they just look really bad. If you're going to go in and trim off some of the worst of the brown, you can do so. But those are just old leaves. That's absolutely no cause for concern for you. Okay. um, That answers that part. So my I have uh, the... uh, uh, my uh, carpet grass, my uh-huh. Saint Augustine, right, uh, and some of the some of the blades, uh, a section, are turning a light green, kind of almost yellowish. Is it just in kind of a big patch here and a big patch there? No, well, actually, it's just one section. The rest of the the lawn. Uh, Looks, it's palmettos what I have. Yeah, yeah, it's a good grass. How long's it been since you fertilized? I fertilized it uh, back in uh, the end of February, I think, beginning the okay. beginning of March. I I use that uh, growing green. Yeah, that's good stuff. It's almost time to fertilize again. Into February, we've had all of March, all of April, and now we're into May. So sometime in the next so three, four weeks, I would fertilize again. Uh, the area that's uh, a little lighter in color, I would maybe go over that twice with the spreader instead of just once. Uh, as long as okay. it's just light green, I'm not worried. If you start to see some yellowing, uh, we could be looking. There's a lot of fungus out there right now, and you might want to put out a little whole ground cornmeal but right now i just focus on giving it a good deep watering once a week and when you have time and energy uh get out and give it some more nutrients and uh that that growing greens great stuff and uh and i i you know it, it doesn't, doesn't give me any reason to worry about it i think you're just looking at what it does this time of year yeah now now for addressing for the top of it i've been reading a little bit about i think i've heard you say in the past that I think it's it's stone and soil. They have something that uh, that's a lawn dressing that's very fine. You know, they they yeah they do. But if yours is a mature lawn, I just use straight compost. Uh, they make what okay. they call lawn dressing that has a little bit of red sand in it. But uh, right. um, I I just normally just put the compost. Top dressing's fine, but uh, the compost is what it really needs. Now, if you need to level it, if you have any low places or anything like that, yeah, top dressing is a great thing, great thing to use. But uh, I just, in most cases, I don't think it's worth the extra money, the extra weight. I find it easier to spread compost than I do the lawn dressing or top dressing. So that's up to you. Uh, you do need, if you're going to put anything on it, you do need to do it before it gets much hotter. But uh, the the fertilizing is first thing I do. Okay, well, great. Well, my last question is, I planted an orchid tree. Okay. And uh, I live out in uh, North Bear County. Uh-huh. Park. 
Yeah. And I I put it on the south facing wall, about fifteen feet from from the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, is that uh, is it going to be safe there in case we get a a bad freeze or something? Or what should Which... I do to care for it? Which kind of orchid tree? There is a white orchid tree, a purple orchid tree, and then the one that they call the Hong Kong orchid tree, which is sort of a cerise color. Which one did you plant? I bought the white. Yeah, that is by far the yeah that is the most cold hardy one. The flowers are not as big as they are on the others, and that one's going to grow more like a big shrub than a tree. But you made the right. best choice for where you are because it is the most cold hardy. You're not going to worry need to worry about it unless we're looking to get down into the teens, uh, maybe even a little bit colder than that. So I think you I think you're doing fine, Isel. I wouldn't I wouldn't give a thought to that. We'll take next winter when it comes along, but uh, it would take a very cold winter before you'd really need to do anything special for the white orchid tree. Okay, so what about the seed pods that are growing on it? Well, you leave them grow and collect some seed. That is the one of the orchid trees that's very easy to grow from seed. You might enjoy sprouting some of those seeds, put them in pots, and uh, let them sprout and grow, and you'll have some built-in Christmas presents, because everybody loves that white orchid tree. Okay. Well, good. I'll just have to figure out how to plant the seeds or what to do with them. <laughs> you give me a call when you're ready to do it, when the seeds are ripe, and I'll be happy to help. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate all the help. Always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Have a wonderful Sunday. All right. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and take one more call. Let's talk to Shirley. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning. I keep missing your formula for a green fish tank or a green pond. Okay, um, how big is uh, how big is this uh, water body? Uh, the fish tank is forty gallons, and the pond is probably about shallow, but about twelve feet across. Okay, the the fastest thing uh, to get rid of the algae is hydrogen peroxide, and it will not hurt the fish. Um, in your forty gallon tank, uh, you're probably going to want to put. Oh, maybe a cup of the 1% hydrogen peroxide from the grocery store. Uh, your bigger pond, I would get uh, a full quart and put in there. I would do it pretty soon because we don't ever want to kill a lot of algae at one time when the weather starts getting hotter because if we kill the algae, it starts deteriorating, it starts stealing oxygen from the water, and then that's bad for the fish. The hydrogen peroxide itself, if anything, it'll make the fish healthier, but um, yeah, yeah, about a cup in your in your forty gallon tank, and probably a full quart in the in the fish pond. I probably would even go with the three percent instead of the one percent. But uh, that's you know, if we were talking a, a farm pond that was an acre or something like that, we switch over to cornmeal just because it would get too expensive to use hydrogen peroxide. But you know, in smaller smaller tanks, that gives you the fastest result. Won't bother the fish, won't bother the birds, won't bother any animals that drink out of the out of the tank. So you should be in good shape. Thank you so much. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be Mark and Shirley and Margaret and Bill, and Mark is up first. Good morning, sir. Morning, Bob. Beautiful morning in Fredericksburg, I'll bet you. 
Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, be out there mowing again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how it is that the grass can stay low and the blasted uh, rabidita, the Mexican hat, coneflower, whatever you want to call it. That stuff seems to right. just, you know, grow six inches a day. And, yeah, I spent a lot of uh, a lot of my days off this past week on a mower myself, and uh, that's one thing I'll be doing again this coming week. Right. And we have two to three acres that's deer-proof, and it's, you know, the Virginia creeper, well, you know, it turns into a jungle under the trees and everywhere. Oh, yeah. So, but, well, so the the problem of the week, um, okay, we have blackberries. The Kiowa do great every year. They produce well. You know, they're healthy. Mm-hmm. The Roseboro, we, 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 years ago, they did great, but it seems like for several years now, they look really good. The berries are growing. <clears throat> and um, when they're maybe a pea size or whatever, the canes start turning yellow, <clears throat> and then the leaves start turning brown, and they basically, like, die before the berries even get ripe. Do you go through and cut out all the old canes after they produce every year? <clears throat> yes. And how often are you fertilizing? Um, how often are you fertilizing? Uh, about three times a year. Okay, I'd I'd be switching to a liquid fertilizer, and I'd be doing it every couple of weeks. And be real certain that you are that you are watering really, really thoroughly. Uh, most people just don't realize how much uh, water blackberries take. Now, I don't know why it would be affecting your Roseboro and not, you know, not your Kiowa and the others. But um, it's real important, you know, when as soon as they finish producing, it's really important to uh, to cut the old canes out because occasionally they have some disease that will spread into the newer canes that are coming up. But uh, as long as you're, you know, you're going to finish producing probably in May, every every cane that produced berries needs to be cut back to the ground so that anything that gets started doesn't spread to the new canes that are coming out for the next year. So, you know, be certain that you get that pruning done. Don't put it off till fall. Do it as soon as the production is finished. And I think you'll find your new growth will stay a whole lot healthier, and you'll have a whole lot better berries next year. Yeah, we've always done that okay. Well, one thing, they, they are in a really well-draining soil, and uh-huh. the rain did just shut off, you know, recently. Yeah, yeah. And that could they're, they're probably in the – actually, once that's over a septic field, I think. They, they probably drain better than the Kiowa's. Yeah, well, then that that probably needs to tell you you need to step your watering up more often because blackberries, unlike dewberries, dewberries will grow with practically no help at all from you. But for those blackberries, they want a thorough soaking every three or four days. If that soil's really draining quickly, I'll bet that's all your problem is. Yeah, it's so hard to soak a well-draining soil, you know. <laughs> it goes right through. Yeah. Well, that's, keep those mulches on top yeah. and keep building that organic material because that's what's going to hold your moisture. Be using that molasses and Medina Plus and whatever else because it, it doesn't develop overnight, but uh, creating that additional organic material in the soil is going to be your, your best way to... Uh, soil should drain well, but it also should have some water-holding capacity. You might also think about putting a little lava sand in that area because the lava really seems to help hold moisture in the soil too and of course you're sitting up there in a lava-based granite soil but uh, I think it'd still be good to perhaps add a little bit more of the uh, uh, of the lava to it because that should really help with water retention 
What kind of liquid would you use if, if we have a choice? Well, we uh, probably choice. Medina. <laughs> Medina has to grow is good. Okay, okay, at full strength? Yeah, well, at, a, at an ounce per gallon, alternate, yeah. because I'm sure your guys up there probably are getting the Medina, their new liquid fish fertilizer mm. as well. Mm. I've started alternating between that and the has to grow, and uh, mainly inside my greenhouse, but also on my vegetable garden. Okay. And it may be weather, I don't know exactly what, but... Uh, I've got the prettiest, prettiest tomatoes I've ever had, and uh, peppers are coming along real nicely now that the nights are getting a little bit warmer. So alternate with some of their uh, their new fish fertilizer and tell me what you think of the results. Okay, okay. Um, the um, our evergreen sumac this time of the year start getting some yellow leaves and dropping some of them. Seems like that's normal. Yeah, that's okay. normal. Uh, if you're able to water more, you'll have a little bit less of that. But it's time for it to put on new growth and to bloom. And they always shed a bunch of the old leaves when they do. Okay. We have one that's in, the, we think it has roots in the septic tank for our little guest apartment. It's like uh-huh. 15 feet across. Oh, wow. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's, it's a great plant. I wish it were more widely available in the trade because it's, uh, it's evergreen. It's relatively fast in growth. It just doesn't have any problems. Not real showy with flowers or anything, but it's, it's just yeah. it's deer-proof. It's just, a, it's just a really good shrub. All right. Yep. And I've caught 16 mice in the last two weeks. Oh, man. <laughs> well. It's, it's hard to catch them because we have birdseed out my, right. my best traps are a pot of water with a block of with a block of wood next to it uh-huh. they, they they jump in the water they a lot of them have done that <laughs> yeah. well, it's a little bit of a mess to clean up but uh it's uh it's anything that gets them under control because as you well know with the more mice you have the higher the likelihood that you're going to have one of those uh little serpents that you don't want to deal with and so keep going after the keep going after yeah. the mice and uh keep enjoying these cool mornings for as long as they last mark's always good to hear from you yeah, good good to talk to you, Bob. Thank you. <laughs> Thank Bye. you, sir. Goodbye. All right, Shirley's up next. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning. How's my favorite plant, Doctor? Uh, well, I just, it's a beautiful morning. I've got two Labrador retrievers here joining me. I'm looking out at a, at a whole area full of beautiful blooming plants and fountains. So, you know, my morning's really good. I hope your morning's good. Well, it's good, but I have some questions. Okay. I planted uh, two Monterey oaks last year, uh-huh. and uh, we we had some rain earlier in the year, and I guess I didn't water as often as I should. And one of uh-huh. the trees, I noticed the leaves are getting brown around the edges. Okay. Is that lack of water? Well, it's root damage, and the most common cause of root damage would be, you know, having gotten too dry. I would maybe, you know, water it in with a little Garrett juice, a little Super Thrive. Those things both really stimulate new root growth. Unfortunately, the leaves with brown edges, those edges aren't going to turn green again, but tree's going to continue putting on new leaves. Monterey Oak's a, a very good tree for this area, and it continues to grow and produce new foliage throughout the growing season, so uh, I just uh, say lesson learned we're going to have to we haven't had a good soaking rain in a long time so a newly planted tree uh and i consider them newly planted for the first two years they're in the ground you've just got to watch your watering you have to water them very thoroughly whenever that soils dry about an inch deep but no long-term damage those trees are going to do fine for you great another question 
I have some, I guess, this, uh, you call them a dwarf bottle brush. Yes, I'll have the varieties called Little John. Okay. And uh, they're in a bed that's next to our swimming pool. And they're uh-huh. growing, of course, toward the pool. Is it okay <laughs> to cut them back? And is this the time of year for it to be cut back? You can certainly cut them back. Have you had a good bloom uh, from them this spring? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Once, you know, the. Starches. Yeah, that little John is one that can bloom a little bit more. Your your big old standard bottle brush, the Hannah Ray and, you know, the tall ones, they pretty much do all their blooming early in the spring, February, March. That little John blooms a little later and it can bloom a little longer. But when you feel like you've gotten the majority of your spring blooms, that will be the time to go in and trim them back. Try not to trim them too severely. Just, you know, just get them back in shape. Try never to remove more than about 30% of the foliage at any one time but uh this when they have finished their spring blooming that is the ideal time to do any pruning that they need okay next question i have a satsuma orange tree and i noticed that some of the leaves are turning yellow that's pretty much has to grow has to grow on it okay and rose glow Uh uh-huh that's pretty much normal on uh, all citrus at this time of the year. They're going to, as they put on their new spring foliage and bloom, they're going to always have some of those older leaves yellow and drop. Uh, doesn't surprise me at all. As long as the new growth is healthy green color, just be sure you're watering thoroughly and regularly. But uh, having some leaves curl, having some leaves yellow on citrus is uh, 100% normal at this time of year. Okay, next question, last question. Tomatoes. I have tomato plants in pots, uh-huh. and I water them like every, I mean, fertilize them like every couple of weeks with has to grow. Is mm-hmm. that an all right thing? How do your plants look? Wonderful. They're blooming, <laughs> and I have a tomato as big as a softball. Well, then you're doing exactly the right thing. I would love, I try to fertilize every couple of weeks, and uh in all honesty, uh, it's been it's been a busy spring, shall we say, and I, I don't do it as often as I wanted to, but I would consider every two weeks to be ideal as far as a fertilizing schedule. Um, if you're able, I would periodically, also about every two weeks, mix up a little bit of that liquid seaweed and molasses and just spray the foliage. Uh, that's going to, we're, we're going to get to spider mite season one of these days for too long, and the seaweed just toughens the leaf to where spider mites can't get after those beautiful tomatoes so in addition to your fertilizing i would try to get that liquid uh, seaweed spray and, and like i say add a little bit of molasses too but i try to be doing that every couple of weeks too and that's gonna you're gonna be the envy of the neighborhood uh you know with your tomatoes this summer <laughs> probably already that. are <laughs> but, no, but the problem is with this virus i'm an old lady and i'm <laughs> supposed to be staying in my house so i well, can't really get out and Shop. Well, it's hard to get out and shop, but uh, it's sure good to get out in the garden. I think I think houses are unhealthy places. I think fresh air is a solution to a whole lot of different problems. So spend all the time you can in your garden, and uh, uh, you might tell that neighbor, uh, whoever is close to you, you know, I'll give you some tomatoes if you'll go pick up a couple of things at the nursery for me. And the barter system is alive and well. I, I can tell you a couple of coffee shops that have bag of tomatoes will get
get you a couple of free drinks. And uh, used to have a restaurant where two bags of tomatoes got you anything on the menu free of charge. So don't hesitate to uh, offer some tomatoes in return for the help that you may need as we get through all this stuff, Martin. You just keep up the good work. Okay. Thank you so much for all of your good information. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Back to gardening and back to the phone lines. We're going to talk to Bill and Mark and James. One line open. Grab it if you like. Uh, let's see. Good morning, Bill. Hey, good morning, Bob. I hope you're well this morning. I, everything is just off to a good start. We'll hope it, as I was just telling uh, one of our managers, you know, sometimes it feels like we're just trying to keep our heads above the water. It's so busy on everything, but yeah, that's a good way to have it. We wouldn't have it any other way. And beautiful morning like this, man. Anybody that's complaining, we ought to ship them off to some other some other place. <laughs> I agree. Say, Bob, as of Friday morning, I'm officially retired and fixing to move to College Station. All and, right. Congratulations. Have, well, thank you. I have a home there that has an acre under fence in the backyard, and uh, I have a real nice area to to start my uh, vegetable gardens, about 70 by 80 feet open area. Uh-huh. I'm going to have a ton of cardboard boxes. I heard you and Howard talking yesterday about getting rid of Bermuda. I don't have any Bermuda, just some native grasses. Sure. I was wondering, could I break those boxes down, put them over this area, and then maybe a couple of inches of compost and let that sit a while and do myself any good? That would be ideal. be a great way to uh, get rid of the weeds, build the soil at the same time. And, um, yeah, I think that would be an ideal way to, so to speak, recycle the cardboard at home. It's one of the best uh, grass suppressors I know of. And, uh, fortunately, your native bunch grasses are even easier than Bermuda to get rid of. But, yeah, I'd, I'd do it just as soon as you possibly can. Uh, I'm starting next week. But, anyway... The other question was, uh, I uh, always want to put in some fruit trees, never had a big enough area, but I do in this location. And so uh-huh. I purchased four peaches and two plums and planted uh, several a couple of months ago, uh, and they've come out really good. But I've been told by the experts that the drainage isn't good enough around that area and that there's too much salt in the water. But uh, when I I did some trenching back there to put some water faucets in, and I've got a couple Uh feet of more sand than anything. Sure, uh, sure. Before you hit away. Yeah, I, uh, I, your so-called experts, I don't, I don't totally agree with, but they are right about, uh, sodium in the water. That's, that's the biggest bugaboo, you know, over in that area. And some people, if you find that you have too much sodium in the soil, which you would know because you'd start getting brown edges on the leaves and things like that, uh, some people will work at building up, kind of creating a raised bed that gets a little bit better drainage so they can kind of flush the salt out but i'm going to tell you plant your garden and see how it does um before you you know go to any extremes because organically there are a lot of things that you know we do that buffer the soil that get rid of salts naturally i find that most of the people in that area that i hear complaining about excessive salt problems are the ones that are using the synthetic fertilizers and they're only compounding the pro the problem i think you're going to probably find that it's 
it's uh, you know extremely easy to garden over there. You've got a little bit more rainfall. You're not dealing with the rock, and uh, as long as you chose your peach trees, you know according to the chill requirements, I would have planted trees that are somewhere in about the 700-hour chilling range. But uh, you should do very well. You should do very well with uh, your fruit trees and your vegetable garden as well. Yeah, I selected the varieties for the chilling requirements in that area and and i've been following organics for 12 15 years and if uh there's a little bit slope in the area where the fruit trees are and i'm not that worried Uh about the drainage if i follow the you know put compost mulch on them and follow organics uh uh, i think i can kind of work Oh, I think you'll be, yeah, I think you'll be the envy of the neighborhood. Do check those fruit trees and be sure the root flare is exposed because we're finding that, uh, that that is, you know, it's important on all trees, but it really makes a difference in the health of fruit trees. And, you know, people always complain about getting worms in their peaches and things like that. And we're finding a lot of times if you just get that root flare exposed, the worm problems go away. I think they show up more when the trees are stress and there's nothing that will stress a tree more and unfortunately a lot of the tree producers still think oh you should bury the tree up to the graft point and that is simply not true you should see the root flare on a peach tree or a plum tree just the same as you would on an oak tree or a sycamore tree so i would check that but beyond that stay with your organic fertilizer stay with your good mulches and uh I'm kind of envious of, you know, you're being able to dig without hitting rock and you're getting a little bit more rains over there than you've had over here. And we'll miss you in this area, but uh, we certainly wish you well over there. You know, people ask if I'm retired and I tell them, oh, yes, I was tired yesterday and I'm tired again today. (laughs) I'm afraid that's that's the way I define retirement. Sounds like you're going to have time to pursue some of the things that... uh, uh, they, we all wish we had more time to work on. So my congratulations to you on that. And don't hesitate Thank to call any time I can help. Well, I've heard you talk about root flares enough that I, I made sure when I planted them they were exposed. And You're good, every, good man. As I drive around San Tome, every school I go around, I see about a foot of mulch piled up around all the trees on the campuses and i said they need to start listening to bob on the radio <laughs> <laughs> and houston is even worse than san antonio but uh i you know i just uh <laughs> i hate to uh i hate to bring it up and I, i'm not pointing fingers at anyone but i was discussing with a couple of people earlier one of my favorite sayings is uh they say when you're dead you don't know it but people around you suffer it's the same way when you're stupid <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, kind of the way I feel about some of these people. That was Einstein's classic definition of insanity, was doing the same thing over and over and then expecting different results. And uh, people, if they would just learn that if they get that root flare exposed, they will just not have the problems they've faced in the past. But uh, you're doing it right. You just keep doing it right and lead by example. I think that's the best thing you can do, Bill. All right. Thank you for the help, Bob. And congratulations on your new situation. Don't hesitate to call anytime you have questions. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. It's going to be Mark and James and Scott. And Mark is up first. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. I hope you're 
having the problem of dealing with a rush of customers? <laughs> well, not quite yet, but uh, preparing for it, so to speak, we're very blessed. We've been very, very busy, and uh, it's it's fun. It's so gratifying to me to see how many people are either expanding their gardening or just really having time to take more interest in it. More people are starting a garden to benefit themselves and to get their kids involved. So uh, I guess that's a little bit of the silver lining that comes out of the dark cloud we've been uh, fighting right now so uh life's good and it's going to get better well speaking of clouds we have none here in houston so i guess this is going to be another beautiful day in the neighborhood the same for you (laughs) yes sir we just uh you know y'all certainly have had more than your share of moisture over the past couple of years let's just hope we kind of spread it out over a little time this year and get it when we need it but uh yeah it's 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 that this cool mornings have been the just the the nicest thing this spring is we have just gone from uh winter to summer we we actually are enjoying a little bit of spring so it's a good thing <laughs> yeah it's unfortunate that at least here we in houston don't get very many days of this so we always celebrate it and thank goodness we <laughs> well, actually go out now the governor allows <laughs> us to go out so. amen well it's uh we don't get many days of it but at least we get a few hours of it and uh those first two or three hours of the day are, are wonderful and then then you take off that extra shirt and start sweating but uh not complaining <laughs> just be able glad to be able to do it amen well, back in 1983, Alicia took out a large crepe myrtle that had growing for about five years, and I replaced it with what I thought was going to be a low-maintenance uh, evergreen, and I chose a magnolia grandiflora. Okay. Uh, that sucker right now has got about a 14-inch caliper. Wow. But it is the biggest trash tree that I have ever met. <laughs> Well, I I can suggest a couple of other candidates, but uh, magnolias are messy. Yes, sir. Well, by this point in time, to put in another 12 or 14-inch caliper tree would cost me more than my uh, retirement. So uh, I'm going to have to learn to live with it. Now, the problem is that it it spreads its leaves all over the place. The wind helps it a lot because, of course, Uh there's a lot of area to make sales. So it's it's in my neighbor's yard, it's in the street, it's in places that I can't rake. I can rake the lawn, but there are other uh, garden-type areas that I, I just can't get to with a rake, so I have to use one of those long-reach grabbers, uh-huh. or else, yep. you know, bending down to pick them up and stuff. I'd probably be in a chiropractor's office a couple times a week. So, <laughs> and they don't decompose. And yep. I'm, I need some help in trying to figure out how to get rid of these suckers. Is there anything that I can spray on them that would encourage them to to decompose rather than have to collect each one like I do? Well, they're kind of like live oak leaves in that they are tough leaves, and they, they're never going to decompose as quickly as, say, a red oak or a cedar elm or something like that. But uh, molasses will be a big help. Uh, liquid molasses is uh, it, it's a little more trouble because you spray it, but it's a little faster acting. If you simply get a bag of the dry molasses and just you know throw it up under there by the handful, it will, it will really speed up the decomposition. And and the tree will appreciate it because that's to, to keep your magnolias really healthy and to minimize the leaf drop. They love to have a thick mulch on the surface of the ground. I'm sure you've heard me tell people don't cut the lower limbs off because it wants those limbs down close to the ground to shade the soil. But um, and of course it's it's 
tough to get up underneath but if there's any way to break those leaves up at all uh you know if they're out in the open we tell people we'll just mow over them a couple of times but your best your best solution for speeding up the decomposition is going to be about oh two two tablespoons per gallon of molasses and just spray as frequently as you have the opportunity to okay well regarding the limbs at the bottom um i was not listening to and I'm not even sure you were on the radio back in '84, but uh, I'm afraid I was. Oh, you were. So <laughs> yeah, yes, why sir. Didn't you tell me, why didn't you tell me you were on the air back in '84 for crying out loud? Well, uh, and, yeah, who knows? <laughs> but at, at, yeah. any, at any rate, I took took those out, the lower ones, as they got close to the ground. I took them out. I can unfortunately stand under some of them, and then of course bump into the ones that I didn't take out when I'm looking down to see where I'm walking. So. Right. But they're not covering the ground. And Wendy reminds me, by the way, of that every time I complain about this. <laughs> well, the good news is that if you can simply, you know, where you can get under there, mow over those leaves. Don't try to rake them up. Don't try to pick them up. Uh, but the more you cut them up, the more surface area you expose for the microbes to begin breaking them down. And, um, you know, good mulching mower is going to help a lot in both regards. It's going to help with the breakdown, and it's going to help with the, the cleanup, so to speak, because a chopped up leaf looks a whole lot better, you know, than a than a big intact leaf. And in Houston, you're, you're not as critical. Here in San Antonio, with that sun just blazing down on the ground, uh, it's just the quickest way to have an unhealthy tree. Uh, you guys, with uh, your extra humidity, uh, I guess that's one good side of it, and your better soils, uh, it's not as critical that your limbs go all the way to the ground, but, but let them be as low as possible, because they do love to have that soil shaded. And uh, like I say, mow the leaves where you can. Molasses is going to help with the breakdown okay i'll try the molasses and then it's better than picking them up one at a time it's just shooting them like that well okay, if you well. if it comes down to that look into some of these leaf vacuums there i'm trying to remember i think steel makes a pretty good one and um, they actually make one that kind of can act as a blower if you turn it one way and then you can attach a big bag to it and use it as a vacuum if you reverse the uh, airflow on it so um it's just one other option but i'd rather see you you know shred them spray the molasses on them and leave them in place because that's going to be a big help to the tree long term and you won't have to fertilize as often okay well that'll be my next shot i was concerned that the size of the leaf was too large for one of those vacuums because i think their opening is only four to six inches Uh, there there are a lot of different ones out there uh they make they make some you probably look at a commercial model but uh um, find find a good equipment dealer. There there are all kinds of equipment dealers, and lots of them I wouldn't walk through their door. But there's some of them that are really out there to help you. I wish you had a C&L mower, mower service over there. But um, take a look at that if you feel like you need to get them up. I'm hoping that just the molasses is going to speed up the breakdown to where you stop worrying so much about it. Well, that'll give us a shot, and I guess next year I'll tell you if it worked. I'll look forward Thank to it. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Goodbye, Mark. All right, let's talk to James. Good morning, James. Hello, James. Hello, Bob. How are you doing this morning? Oh, it is another beautiful morning. How are things in your part of the world? Uh, getting all the hard work done in the cool of the morning. That's uh, that's a blessing, man. It's cool, yeah. It's cool morning. 
Well, I think Chris told you we did have a caller inquiring about you yesterday. Wanted to know how your tomato sales had gone this year and how your, I know this is the first year you really launched into growing some plants for sale as well as your good produce. How did all that end up working out? Well, I thought I was the only one with uh, softball-sized tomatoes, but that young lady you were talking to <laughs> earlier said she had some. Yeah, yeah, there, there are a few folks out there. It's The cool lights have slowed down the this fruit set for some people, but um, where you've got your hoop house and things like that and you can moderate the temperature, I'm not at all surprised that you're, uh, you're way ahead of most of us. Well, I'm looking at a one-pounder. Uh, it's starting to, to color up. So that, and that's going to be for me, of course. <laughs> as long as the birds don't get to it first or the squirrels. No, we pretty much, this ain't our first rodeo. We, we, we yeah, we've got I know. all that under control. Um, yeah, it, it looks like a 14, 14, 15, 16 ounce tomato. Wow. And, uh, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it. But, um, Tomato sales are usually uh, usually get cranked up around the middle of May. Yeah. Well, how how about the plants? I know you're growing plants and you're actually providing some to uh, uh, store up in the hill country as well. Did did your plant production go well this year? Did you uh, did you have uh, have good sales on those, or did you get too busy to really pursue it? Oh yeah, everything worked out just fine. Except uh, I'm not uh, smart enough to know uh, how to. Uh, uh, keep the trays loaded uh, with seed to get them going. I, I need uh, I need some some nurseryman to tell me, uh, you know, uh, like every week you need to sow X, Y, and Z. That's that's the only problem I'm having. Well, too bad old uh, Joe Tokini's not with us anymore because he was mentor to so many people over there in Guadalupe County. And, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, you just learn by doing. I tell you, you sure learn to keep a diary if you're a commercial producer to uh, know what to do and when to do it. But, uh, well, I'm glad your first year went well. I sure hope you'll do it more because we we need more good people out there producing uh, quality transplants for us. Yeah, it's uh, if they don't sell down here in uh, Marion, we'll uh, we'll take them up to Utopia, man. That, them people yeah. up there appreciate a nice transplant. Well, they have trouble finding good ones up there. So glad you're helping even more people. Anything else uh, special going on in the garden? Yeah, I got a question for you. We're buying a pinpoint uh, cedar. It's a four row uh, greenhouse cedar that Johnny sells. You can okay. Plant, uh, uh, Onion seed or whatever you're planting, uh, about an inch apart in the beds, and then uh, uh-huh. two and a half inch uh, row spacing. I'm going to uh, put in a hundred square foot bed of uh, that Texas uh, Super Sweet 1015 Y. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm really uh, nobody around here is, you know, selling uh, onion sets and. Dixon Dale has got so expensive. I don't know. James, let me me put you on hold and come back to you. All right. We're going to talk just a little more with James, and then it'll be time to visit with Margaret and Scott and Ron. And, uh, James, I talk too much. I let us run up too close to the top of the hour there. You were talking about your new cedar that you're hoping to produce a good, uh, super sweet, uh, uh, that, that 1015 onion for us. Yeah, we're going to put in a, a really nice bed and get it seeded, uh, hopefully the first of se- 
Timber is what uh, Mark Peterson told me, and he ought to know. Well, you know, originally the reason they named that uh, that onion the 1015 was just to remind people that uh, they thought they should plant it on October 15th. But uh, I, you know, if you're if you're planning to produce transplants to to share, you can probably get more than one crop of transplants in. That's what I'm thinking. Mark said the first of September, uh, so that's where we're going to start the main load. But yeah. you know, Dixondale, you got to order a, a, a truckload of those yeah. onions to get any kind of a deal. Yeah. So that's the plan. But the well, that is. Was Go ahead. Ask, that uh, that bed's been in cilantro, is it? And uh, we're going to pull that crop here real soon. Um, that's not going to mess up my uh, my onion germination if we we uh, overtop it with some. Um, Nice compost and then seed it. No, it shouldn't shouldn't mess it up at all. Shouldn't mess it up at all. I'd, uh, you know, I'd I'd probably water it down with a little compost tea or garret juice or something like that. But no, I don't think you'll find. I don't believe it's uh, your cilantro is going to leave anything behind that would cause a problem in the world for the onions. Yeah, that was the question. Uh, that was the question we had. Um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna kick their rear ends this fall, man. If we're still kicking, if the if COVID don't get us, we're going to really have some nice transplants. Well, and you know, the nice thing about that too, James, is that one of the biggest problems is transplants don't really keep all that well. You get those beautiful little bunches in from Dixondale, but if they sit on the shelf very long, that quality goes down where you're in a position that you can harvest uh, your your little transplants, you know, as needed, so to speak. You're going to have the best onions and the best onion plants uh, anywhere around. I think you're into a real good thing there. You ought to get in a new profession, a mind reading, because that's exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> no, I, 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 anything related to the mind, I, I think it's best left to somebody with, uh, with better credentials than me. Well, that's the that's the plan, and you, uh, you hit the nail on the head, and that's what everybody's uh, griping and moaning about. You know, uh, those uh, those dried up uh, onion starts, and yeah. we can dig them. You know, whenever. <laughs> Whatever we need to get them going. Uh, you've you've got a real winning winning idea there. I certainly uh, I think your only problem is you're going to have a long line of people standing out there waiting for them. So that one bed may not be enough, but uh, I have an idea. You'll probably find room to grow some more after this uh, after this trial run, so to speak. But uh, I hope you'll branch out too. The ten fifteen wise are a really really good onion, but we could use some good purples and we could use some good white onions as well. So good luck on the yellows to start out with. But let's uh, let's Let's get a little variety going once you really get your technique down. Well, that's what the boys were saying, but I said, uh, let's just do the 10-15s and see what blows up, man. We'll go yeah. bigger later if we're still kicking. you got to learn how to catch a little sun perch before you go after the big bass. That's a fact. Thanks for your uh, help this morning, Bob. <laughs> it's always a pleasure, James. You get out and enjoy your Sunday, and uh, thanks for all you're doing out there. It's good to talk to you. Thanks, all right. Uh, thank you. Uh, Margaret's up next. Good morning, Margaret. Hi, good morning. I had a quick question for you. How um, can I help? My, oh, thank you. A friend of mine had the most gorgeous, huge bougainvillea plants in front of his little store over in Alamo Heights. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. The uh, the crew came through, and uh, they clipped off all the uh, the blooms. 
Oh, boy. Yeah. And so we were talking. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, it's it's uh, the jewelry store there next to Hanley Wood. You may have right. noticed them because they were giant bougainvilles. Yeah. Anyway, so we were talking. It has to grow, super thrive. What to do there? Yeah, anything has to grow works real well. Bougainvilleas are heavy feeders, and you know I haven't gotten out and looked at those plants. If they are a reblooming variety or a what we call a day neutral variety, I suspect that they will come back into bloom pretty quickly. But uh, heavy fertilizing is the name of the game, and yeah, I think has to grow will do the job for them just fine. And uh, I sometimes think with these dummies that no, just don't get me started on on how people how so-called professionals mess up people's plants and you just uh right now when you want to have that just looking absolutely full and gorgeous and beautiful for mother's day and then some cut happy dummy comes along and, and cuts them back but uh i don't know if they'll be back in full bloom by next sunday but they'll come back to bloom pretty quickly and hopefully you'll stay in bloom all summer for them and that's a once a week has to grow. I, that's what I would do. I would do. You know, in my garden, I try to aim at every two weeks. But on something blooming and uh, out like that, where you're trying to get it back into bloom quickly, that's the thing. You're never going to overdo it. You never have to worry about burning when you're using natural products. And uh, so I would say once a week, when he starts getting lots of buds on there, then maybe you can cut back to uh, once every other week. But I'd sure be doing it once a week right now. Okay, well, we learn a lot every Sunday, and thank you so much. Well, it's my pleasure being here for you, and I hope it is a wonderful Sunday for you, and a happy, happy Mother's Day if I don't get to talk to you for next Sunday. Thank you again. <laughs> thank you, Margaret. Okay, bye. All right, let's go ahead and take one more caller, and that would be Scott. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I got a question about a hairy louder that I picked up from an online nursery. Okay. I started, it came, when I got it in the mail, it was in a little tube, very little soil around it. So Uh I started it off for about a month in a bucket of the good compost that I'm making out of my backyard. And Mm -hmm. it seemed like it was doing really well, had probably a good 15 or so leaves on it, on a 12-inch tall tree. And I put it in the ground about two weeks ago, and... Everything seemed like it was going okay until we had that one day of just blazing hot sun and 95 degrees out, and all right. of my leaves began to began to wilt. So it, I'm doing, like you say, uh, one knuckle deep on the soil before I water it again, mm-hmm. and the leaves are still soft, but they're brown. And and tell me the name of the plant once again. I didn't pick up on that. It's a Harry Louder walking stick. Okay, um, it is, you know, it, they, they simply, they, when we go from being really cool to super, super hot, um, we're just going to see how that will take the Texas heat. I'm not sure that it's, you know, you don't see a lot of them around. And uh, I, I, you know, I, it may be, the USDA gives us these hardiness zones, but all they tell us is how much cold plants will take. California actually has a better system. They also have a heat tolerance rating, you know, on plants. And I just don't know if, uh, how that one's going to do in the hot Texas sun. Now, while the leaves are not 
on there while they're looking good um, or not looking good, I would be misting that plant down. I would be watering down, you know, the the little 12-inch trunk or however tall it is because the roots obviously aren't real happy. And now that we don't have the leaves there, um, you, you can kind of pull it through this uh, period of stress by misting and letting it absorb a little bit of uh, water and actually a little bit of nutrient through the soft bark because we need to get some more leaves back onto it. But I would I, I would definitely put it in an area that has morning sun only. Uh, in fact, I would do that until it's um, you know gets up two or three feet tall. I, I would not have moved it to the ground at quite such a young, tender age. I would have probably kept it in a gallon container, maybe maybe even moved it onto a three-gallon container and grown it for six or eight months before I trusted to put it into the ground. But at this point, uh, misting it, I think if you want to add a little bit of Super Thrive, uh, that's uh, that's practically a miracle worker. And let's just see how it comes back out. Long term, I've never grown it in this area, and I really I can't say that I've ever seen it growing here. So we're just going to have to see if it is capable of taking our Texas heat. I, I think we just went from very cool days to very, very hot days. And um, who knows exactly why, you know, why it went through so much shock. But uh, if we can get some new growth back on it, if those damaged leaves drop off, it will be a better sign than if they stay, you know, hanging on to the trunk. But uh, it's just going to be day by day at this point. Do you think it would be a good idea to put it back in a pot and bring it in to where it doesn't get full sun? I, if it were mine, I probably would. Um, I, I, I would, I would not bring it inside, but I would very definitely move it. I try to put it in an area where it doesn't get a whole lot of wind and it does need the morning sun. It's got to be able to carry on photosynthesis to keep on making some carbohydrates. But, um, while it is young and tender, so to speak, I just think that it's, you're better to keep them in a pot to where you can move them around when you need to and get them up to be just a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger plant before we decide on their permanent home. And um, even as a permanent home, I think you're probably going to want to put it where it doesn't get that 2 to 4 o'clock Texas sun. Okay, so i got to find a new spot for where I'm going to put it then. Uh, well, let's let's grow it on a little bit and get it a little bit more established, and let's let's see how it does in the pot. I mean, even in the pot, you can experiment with how much sun, you know, it will take and be happy. And uh, since you're you're kind of an uncharted ground because it's just a plant that very few people have grown in this area, so it's going to take a little experimentation to figure out where the happiest place for it will be. And I hope you keep me posted on how you do with it. Oh, I absolutely will. My uh, my other question is, I picked up a Myers lemon and a kumquat orange from your nursery about a month or so ago. We still have them in the pots. Uh-huh. I'm not sure exactly where I want to put them yet, but they both made full sun from what I understand. Yes, sir, they do. And the kumquat is actually a little bit more cold-hardy. Myers lemon's going to go down to about 26 degrees uh, without damage. Kumquat will actually probably go down in the 20-degree range without damage. It's one of the one of the more cold-hardy little citrus, and plus, gosh, such wonderful, delicious little fruits it produces that you get to eat the peel and all. But uh, um, I, both of them 
would like a full sun place, but I, I have to say that, you know, wind is hard on plants, whether it's a hot, dry wind or whether it's that cold north wind. So with both of those, since since they're likely to be in bloom in early spring, when we sometimes get that blustery weather, um, I would try to, you know, pick a sunny spot, but a spot that's a little bit sheltered from the north wind. The kumquat's going to stay pretty tall. That tree at maturity is only going to be about five or six feet high and maybe three feet wide. The Myers lemon, on the other hand, um, and of course I prefer growing them as a bush as a tree, it's going to be eight feet tall and eight feet wide. So be sure you allow plenty of room for it. About how, so I need, when I plant them, they should be about 10 feet or so apart? That would be my suggestion. Yes, sir. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Bob. And the fun thing about the kumquat, it can bloom and produce almost any time. You'll find you have a very long picking season. Did you get the uh, the miwa, the sweet one, or did you get the sour one? I guess if you got it from us, it had to be the sweet one. So, yeah, you're going to, that's going to be the, the sour one's good for making marmalade and things, but that little sweet miwa kumquat is, uh, <laughs> you're not going to tell your friends how well it's doing because you're going to eat them all yourself, I can promise you. <laughs> yeah, it is the miwa. Yeah, very good, Scott. Well, keep up the good work. Keep me posted on Henry Louder, and uh, and let me know anytime you have questions. Always here to try to help. Will do, Bob. Thank you. All right, it's going to be Ron and Larry and Lonnie and James, and Ron is up first. Good morning, Ron. Good morning, Bob. Hey, a couple morning, sir. quick questions. The wife uh, wants to plant some shallots. She saw some shallots at our local uh, big hardware store. And okay. We've never tried them before, and they're pretty big. Uh, we've bought some from a farmer's market here in the fall mm-hmm. last year. They were relatively small size, but these uh, that are in these bags are, are uh, quite larger, uh, maybe three and four times the size. We we haven't planted them, and we're just uh, curious as to the procedure how how we would go about planting them. All we have is pots. So mm-hmm. I've got ten. I've got ten gallon pots, and uh, just wondering how how you would recommend we go about planting them. Well, first of all, I'd wait till October before I did it. Uh, oh. This is not the time of year I'll recommend planting shallots. I think you'll find that they're just going to want to come up and immediately go to flower. Uh, which, you know, is not what you're looking for. You want them, some of them will actually bunch. Some of them will actually make multiple little shallots that you can harvest. Some of them will grow fairly large. But uh, uh, shallots, for me, have always been a, an October planting crop. I mean, if you've already purchased them, um, you can give them a try. But don't be discouraged if you if you don't have the best results because uh, Texas summer is just not the best time. Probably get away of with it in northern california or even michigan but uh <laughs> july and shallots i don't think are going to make a very good combination but you can grow them in big pots and uh, you just want to space the the bulbs large or small you want to space them out allow about two inches between the bulbs so that you'll have room for them to grow up and make adequate foliage okay. but uh whether you plant a dense bed of them whether you plant them in a you know big long rectangular planter or raised bed or whether you put them in a pot. Now, I would stay with fairly large pots, and it sounds like you are. I, I would go minimum 14, 16-inch pot just so that you can maintain a little bit more, bit more even moisture. But, you know, in, in a big pot, you can put 10, 15 plants or more in the same pot. 
Now we're we're up in Branson, Missouri. Would that? Oh, okay. I'm I'm forgetting. I we right, Chris and I text back and forth. <laughs> I'm not looking up at a screen to see where you are. Yeah, in Branson, you might get away with with planning. Would not would okay. not change the procedure, but uh, you may have a cool enough uh, season that you can do well with them. I'd love to hear back from you to hear how they do. But uh, procedure still the same. I I put them where you've got about three or four inches between bulbs and be aware that these nice big ones um, they were grown in absolutely perfect conditions. Don't uh-huh. be surprised if um, you don't achieve such, uh, you know, such huge bulbs because uh, uh, us poor mortals don't do quite the way as these guys that, uh, that unfortunately, oftentimes chemically grown. But uh, they really push them along, get some huge size to them. But I go more for flavor than for size. But shallots are wonderful things to have. I'll, I'll be interested to hear how they summer in Branson. Okay, and are they, uh, do you plant them fairly shallow so that the top of the tips are just uh, kind of showing on the top? Yeah, just, the just right at ground level, yes, sir. You want that little green okay. spot where the leaf's going to come out. You want that right at the surface of the soil. And uh, are they pretty heavy feeders? I know onions are, but I yeah. don't Yes, they yeah. definitely are. Just stay organic. Stay. I'm not sure, yeah. you know, which brand you will find up there. But um, when we go to different nursery trade shows and gift shows, uh, it's gotten to be where almost everywhere in the country you are getting a better offering of organics, but they're totally different companies producing them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, just look for a good liquid organic fertilizer, and I'd be using it every two to three weeks. All right. Now, real quick. Uh, we're we're going to be planting tomatoes this in the pots this uh, week. And, okay. Um, how would you prep the the soil for the planting uh, if we're doing it this week? Uh, well, I start by in effect blending in just a good basic fertilizer, the same sort of organic fertilizer we use in the garden or on the grass or everything else. So I feel like blending some organic dry fertilizer into the soil is going to give you. And some long-term staying power, even if you don't, you know, get around to feeding with liquid fertilizer. So I always fortify the soil. Now, whether you're in Branson or whether you're in South Texas, when you actually plant the plants, you'll greatly increase the pounds of tomatoes, the number of tomatoes, by uh, putting a just a glob, just a handful of rock phosphate in the bottom of the hole and planting your plant directly on top of it. And uh, the tomato will grow its roots down through that. And actual you know experiments uh, weighing tomatoes in production it shows we get about twice as twice as many pounds of tomatoes per plant by doing that and of course you know with tomatoes they are one plant you can plant deeper they'll actually grow roots all the way up right. and down the stem and uh but other than that i just get them in the ground hopefully you're past any danger of frost protect the young plants from wind when i put my tomatoes out and this would be regardless of where you were i wrap a piece of the uh the insulate fabric the roll cover fabric around the lower 18 inches of the tomato cage and this allows plenty of light to get to them but it keeps that drying desiccating wind from slowing them down and uh you know my tomatoes are as tall as i am now and absolutely solid foliage starting to set tomatoes so uh uh, you should do very very well with them okay well i appreciate the advice thank you so much bob it's always a pleasure hearing from you and you have a good weekend and we'll talk again all right, uh, let's go ahead and talk to Larry, and then we'll take our break. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Bob. 
Good morning. I got in on the edges of a conversation with Howard yesterday about okay. H spots and peroxide, and you, could you go over what the, what the deal is there? Well, it's new to me. I had not heard this before. Last week was the first time he brought it up, but um, he says that you know that H spots to a large degree uh, can be eliminated by just you know washing, just uh, rinsing the skin with three percent hydrogen peroxide, the same stuff we get at the pharmacy or at the grocery store. He was also talking about something that Malcolm Beck had tried, where you know he had larger spots, and he was actually using the the sap from a fig tree it's a uh, you know why it's kind of caustic it's uh, there are a rubber plant it's a latex but uh, that also is total news to me so i've not tried it i can't recommend it but howard was talking about the two things uh just peroxide is a just a cleanser for the skin on smaller age spots and uh then you know the the fig tree sap so to speak when you pick a fig you know how you get that that white milky sap uh, immediately starts oozing out and uh, according to howard and malcolm that will go a long way toward eliminating them as well but now i'm just this is anecdotal i haven't tried it so i i will pass along what i hear from people i respect but don't uh, don't take it as gospel. Okay. Yeah, Bob, second question. I'm fixing to spray my uh, my vegetables and, and a couple of plants with uh, seaweed. What, what setting should I use in ounces per gallon? Well, you want to put about two tablespoons, which is one ounce. You want to use one ounce per gallon. So there are two ways to do that, kind of depending on how thick your seaweed is and how well it goes through your sprayer you can either put your your seaweed concentrate in your sprayer set the dial on one tablespoon per gallon i more often will dilute it 50 50 with water and then set it on two tablespoons per gallon because that way i'm getting the proper amount that the ultimate mix but i just find if i thin it down a little bit with water it goes through the sprayer better so Ultimately, we want to have one ounce per gallon, uh, but you can, again, you can uh, dilute it half and half with water and set it for two ounces per gallon, and I find that this, the siphon mixer soaks it up, or the siphon sprayer soaks it up, pulls it up, and sprays a little bit better that way. Does that make sense? Great. I, yes, it does. Makes a lot, plenty of sense. Hey, go, Bob, I really enjoy your show, and thanks for Go out there and enjoy the day if you get a chance. Uh, well, you know, that's exactly where I'm going to be about one minute after. Well, it probably takes me three minutes to put all this radio equipment away. But uh soon as we finish with Dr. Kirby and learning about the pet's health, I'm going to be outside enjoying, and I know you are as well. So appreciate the call this morning. Thank you, Thank sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Certainly. Goodbye, Larry. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone line. It's going to be Lonnie and James and Tasha and Roz, and Lonnie is up next. Good morning, Lonnie. Hey, good morning, Bob. Morning, hey, sir. Uh, quick quick question for you. I had the opportunity to uh, save some shrubs that were being taken out of an old landscaping area along okay. with some other, uh, some other smaller plants. Kind of, I don't know what they are. They're like long, leafy-looking plants. Uh, just look at what can I do to whenever I do transplant I mean I've already got them in the ground what kind of fertilizer or steps can I take to make sure that they thrive and take off well 
You know, um, two things. Whenever something has been dug up, it's obviously left a lot of its root system behind, so it's not able to take up as much water. So for the first few weeks, every time you think about it, pick up the hose and just spray over the foliage, over the trunks, up and down the trunks, and let the plant absorb some moisture directly through the bark since its root system is somewhat compromised at this point. Uh, As far as things to put on to help root growth, this uh, hokey package stuff called Super Thrive is just, in my opinion, just absolutely amazing. I've seen it bring back plants that we thought were dead, so I would probably get a little Super Thrive and water them in with it. Watering in with a little bit of garret juice will also help put a good root system on those plants and um uh, you know uh, do you you have an area you anticipate leaving them for a while and then you're going to transplant them to a different location is that the situation no this this is going to be right up along the walkway into the house i've got some existing beds that haven't been utilized in quite some time and i've already got them in there i mean do you think any type of like molasses or anything like that would help out the soil I, you know, I, I, it certainly would help, would help increase microbial life. You can either go, if I were using liquid, I'd make it a little bit more dilute. I'd do about a tablespoon per gallon. If I was using the dry, I'd just throw a couple of handfuls on the soil and do that once a month or so. You're, you're never going to go wrong of stimulating the microbes in the soil. So I think that's a great idea. Perfect. All right, Bob. Well, hey, you got a great show there. I listen every weekend whenever I get the chance, and uh, have a great weekend. You do the same, Lonnie. Appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. And goodbye. All right, next up is James. Good morning, James. Up in New Braunfels. Good morning, James. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Off to a good start. How about you? <laughs> I am, too. Bob, I recently moved to New Brunswick about four years ago, and I'm just trying to get used to the climate from coming from the coast, and it's kind of different, you know? So, the coast uh, of Texas or the coast of California? Yeah, uh, Rockport. Okay, Rockport, yeah. And and I've, uh, I do plants a lot, so last year I had a horrible time with the sun. This year I put in a, a three-zone soaker system that I ran to where I've got probably 20 pots and uh-huh. hanging baskets. Uh I'm having trouble regulating the water. I mean, I, I've got the, the half gallon, the one gallon. Uh, so like for a 14-inch pot, 16, 18, 24, what, what, I don't know what, how much water each one would individually need. Well, the thing to remember, and that's a great question, James, but the thing to remember is there's no such thing as too much water. There is too often. and But if a little bit of water is good, a lot of water is better. And if, okay. I, thought, if I thought that plant needed a quart of water, I'd put two quarts on. If I thought it needed a gallon of water, I'd put four or five gallons of water on because the excess is just going to run on through. Now, obviously, in the ancient days when we were taking care of plants in restaurants and things... We couldn't do that or people would get dripped upon. But on a patio situation, you don't ever have to worry about putting too much water on at one time. But uh, just however much you think it needs, I would probably double it because you've got to be sure you're getting enough water on there that it soaks all the way through the pot. Most of the roots are going to be at the bottom of the pot once they get established. And... um, 
so the important thing is to not do it too often. You'll have to just get used to feeling the soil and see how quickly it dries out. But as far as the amount of water, overdo it because you'll never too too much at one time. Then when that soil's dry about half an inch, it's time to turn your system on again. And and uh, with a dripper uh, that just drips slowly, not a sprayer, in, in a hanging basket, is that adequate water if it just runs straight down the stem and basically waters? It it depends. Of course, you have to run it for quite some time to get plenty of water in, but I yeah, would I always... I yeah, I, yeah it, it's probably going to take 30 minutes to really yeah. adequately water that, but as long as you have plenty of organic material in the soil, as long as the water wicks through the soil, I don't think that would necessarily work on something that you're growing in a cactus and succulent mix because that's got so much yeah. sand and lava and things, things are going to go straight okay. through. But a regular good potting soil mix, yeah, one single uh, one single spot is good, and uh, it is much better to water slowly over a longer period of time than to dump a whole lot of water on at one time. So the only thing I would uh, you know I'd tell you to to keep in mind is you know with some plants, and I I always do this in my vegetable garden because I have you know an automatic watering system there, but I never put a really thirsty plant on the same row with a plant that likes to. Stay on the dry side. Yeah. Uh, in other words, uh, you know, I'm I'm trying to be able to meet the average watering time requirement. So uh, uh, it's not going to work real well if you have uh, you know a hanging basket of purslane right near a hanging basket of impatience because impatience is always going to be watered twice as often as the purslane. So you've got to think a little bit on how you lay the system out. But uh, beyond that, no, just just remember there's no such thing as too much water as long as you don't do it too often. And if a little bit of is good, a lot is better to be sure that you've saturated the soil thoroughly. Yeah, I found some of those uh, inline shut-off valves for the quarter-inch where I can regulate yeah. to a pot, you know, the same thing. Mm-hmm. And if you wouldn't mind, the second question, uh, I've ordered three pallets of celebration grass, and I prepared my soil. When I bought this house, it just went horrible. It's full sun. Have you uh-huh. heard of celebration very much? I Is it a Bermuda variety? I don't know celebration. Yes, it is, uh-huh. Okay. Bermuda grasses tend to, um, you know, tend to be among our best, uh, hot weather grasses and very, very sun tolerant. Okay. Is this one of the ones that's more compact like TIFF or is it one of the taller yes, growing sir. ones? Yes, sir. Okay. My daughter put it down at her house and it's just compact, real dense. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, it makes a beautiful lawn. If it's anything like TIFF, and I suspect it's very much like TIFF, uh, if you ever want to keep it really low, if you want to basically have a golf green look to it, ultimately you may end up buying a different type of lawnmower, which unfortunately is more expensive, because mm-hmm. to keep the real low growth, you almost have to use a real type mower as opposed to the rotary type, which most of us use. But uh, if you let it grow a little longer, you can get away with the rotary mower. Just be sure those blades stay super sharp, and uh, your grass is going to be just like everything else. It wants to be watered really thoroughly when it's watered, and then dry to the proper point. I suspect your celebration will be like most any other Bermuda, which means maybe once a week on watering. And just two more quick questions. Uh, I, 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 all the soils that I've been buying cake up hard on my pot plants and everything like that. I've been buying that stuff in yellow and green bags, no names, you know, but I'm looking for somewhere I can get a trailer load of soil with a mixture that doesn't get so hard after it gets water on it. 
talk to uh, Stone and Soil Depot and ask for their garden mix and then add about 30% more straight compost to it. Um, okay. You want to... given the Bob? They're using a mixture of shredded uh, hardwoods. They're adding a, a lot of compost to it. They're adding some humate to it. They're probably adding some red sand. I don't know what all goes into it. Uh, I know they probably would tell you, but uh, I, I like I say, I would be looking either for an herb garden mix or just a, a garden mix. If you're buying it in bags, I will suggest uh, the Nature's Creation is a really good potting soil. If you want something that drains a little bit better, Ladybug's Vortex soil is outstanding. But uh, stay away from that miracle Grow stuff and stay away from anything where they tell you they've already added the fertilizer because the soils are based on Canadian peat, which is antimicrobial, which I don't want in the soil to begin with. And the fertilizer is synthetic, which I don't want in there. But uh, uh, Ladybug and, and uh, Nature's Creation both make a, a very excellent potting soil mix. And if you're growing something like begonias that want a little more drainage, I might lean toward the vortex. If you're doing general herbs, vegetables, flowers, and things, uh, Nature's Creation makes a really good soil. And last question, uh, can you mix orange oil with your house to grow? I would not recommend it. I don't know that you would really gain anything by doing that. Orange oil is a very strong solvent, and we use it for different things. We use it as a cleaner. We use it to uh, destroy insects that have a hard exoskeleton. Uh, We use it to soften up weeds so that we can use vinegar to kill them more effectively. But I I don't believe you would accomplish anything by adding orange oil to uh, your Hestagrow. So I'd... Uh, they really, you know, work for two different purposes. And and the orange oil on the plant to kill insects would be what? What, what would you recommend? How, how much? Well, if uh, if you're let's say you're killing fire ants, uh, if you're just doing it in a, with a mound in the ground, I'm going to mix uh, three or four ounces to a gallon of water, and then I'm going to add just a little bit of molasses to it to stimulate the microbial activity. But if that fire ant mound is in a pot. I can't mix it that strong or I would end up burning the roots. I'm going to cut it all the way back down to maybe, oh, a couple of teaspoons per gallon, which will take longer to kill but won't burn the roots. So um, if it's wood ants that you just, you know, you're spraying uh, shutters or something like that, I'm going to go up maybe as high as eight ounces per gallon, but I'm never going to put it on living tissue that strong or it probably will burn. And you never would put it on your plant from tomatoes to fruit trees to anything like that that had maybe Well, tomatoes, absolutely not. Fruit trees, we find that you can apply it directly to the bark, and it will kill borers underneath the bark. Now, hopefully your fruit trees are strong and vigorous, and that's not an issue. But I can't say absolutely never on plants because we do use it uh, for that purpose to control the, uh, especially the flat-headed borer, which is what gets into a lot of our fruit trees and it's just under the surface of the bark. And orange oil is actually a good way to control it. But it's not a tonic. It's not a fertilizer. It's not something that I would be using on a regular basis. And white flies and everything like that, what would you control them with? The best thing to control white flies is one of the soap products. My okay. absolute favorite is uh, the new product that's out. That's a combination of the uh, uh, natural insecticide called Spinosad combined with an insecticidal soap. It's been my go-to for 
a long time. I've always used insecticidal soap against white flies, but now that we can get the, what they call the spinosad soap, you'll knock them out frequently with one spraying because it's the only thing that gets the eggs, the larvae, and the adults all with one product. Okay, sir. I sure appreciate it. I know there's other people, but thank you very much. Well, you call me anytime I can help, and we'll we'll help you through the transition here. <laughs> Thanks. So, well, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be suffering from uh, trout fishing withdrawal if it were me, but uh, the gardening we can help you with, the other you'll have to figure out on your own. All right, back to gardening. Tasha, Roz, Linda, and Glenn, and Tasha is up first. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Um, Good morning. How are you today? It's just a beautiful day, and I am enjoying every second of it. How about you? We are doing the same. Um, Good. question, my husband and I are starting our very first vegetable garden. We have tilled our soil up, and uh-huh. we need to know what our next steps need to be as far as prepping the soil, and if you have some recommendations for Central Texas, what's good for us to start out with since we're first and farmers. Where, where, where are you located? In Stephenville. In Stephenville, okay. Um, first of all, I, hopefully this will be the last time you till your soil because you frequently have to till the first time to break it up just to get it workable. But in the future, tilling is bad for two reasons. Number one, it tends to bring up weed seeds that may have been buried for a 100 years that now have a chance to sprout and grow. And secondly, you bring up your valuable organic material on the surface of the soil where it oxidizes and breaks down and, and goes away. So I'm I'm big into no-till gardening, and like I say, you frequently have to till the first time to break it up, but uh, you will grow a better garden if you, uh, and, you know, without tilling in the future. Now, improving the soil, uh, the number one thing to add is compost, any kind of good compost. Now, I don't like biosolids compost, the sewage sludge compost. Uh, it just these days has some heavy metals and some other problems with it but uh i like a blended compost the more different things that go into making the compost the greater the diversity of microbial life so if you can only find let's say cottonburg compost or you can only find mushroom compost or whatever uh all compost is good but your very best products are going to be uh blended of from different feedstocks so that we've got some good bacteria as well as some good fungi in the soil and i would put maybe two inches of it on top of the soil and you can either run the tiller through it one more time or I just kind of work it in as I plant but I try to add a little bit of extra compost every year when I plant because it gradually breaks down I would add a good general purpose fertilizer organic fertilizer it could be Medina's Growing Green it could be Nature's Creations Premium Lawn Food it could be Meister Grows Texas Tea whatever you find in the Stephenville area these are all excellent fertilizers and I'd be adding about five pounds per hundred square feet of garden area and then you know beyond that it's just uh, what else would you like to add there's a there's some of what we call the rock powders there's an interesting product called azomite which has about 95 different minerals in it that seem to benefit the plants and it's the sort of thing you only put in once every 10 years if you want your soil to have a little bit uh 
better water holding capacity, put in a little bit of lava sand. You only add that about once every thousand years. And if you feel like uh, that you want to up the iron level, you can put in some of what's called green sand and actually add some of that uh, about every two or three years. But it's just, you know, it's kind of like, do you want hamburger? Do you want prime rib uh, for your plants? And you have to weigh you know, the time you have, the budget you have, and you'll grow a good garden with nothing but compost and fertilizer. But if you want to add a few other things, uh, dry molasses is another thing I'd add, or you can come back and uh, use a liquid molasses after things are planted. But these are, if you're doing those basic things, you're going to get your soil in excellent shape. Now, beyond that, you need to, you know, watch your timing real carefully for instance right now it's a good time to plant cherry tomato plants but you're a little late on the big fruited tomato plants because they'll stop setting when the nights get hot so we'll be planting more big fruited tomatoes in august or so but right now if you want to plant tomatoes look for the cherry types the small fruited varieties perfect time to plant okra perfect time to plant bush beans good time to plant cucumbers which may be bushing or vining good time to plant squash which may be bushy or vining I can fill up your garden real quickly. <laughs> it's a great time to be planting all of these things. So get your soil ready as quickly as you can and uh, plant what your family likes. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much. I appreciate your help. If you ever find your way down San Antonio Way, stop by and let me give you one of the uh, uh, handouts that we prepared on average planting dates. In the meantime, two books to add to your shelves, both of them by Howard Garrett and Malcolm Beck. One of them is called the Texas Bug Book, subtitled The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And the other one is called the Texas Organic Vegetable Book. Both of these have a lot of information in a small space. And uh, also be sure to check out DirtDoctor.com. Yeah, but if you want to get through, you've got to get used to uh, calling about the time I just before I finish with the previous caller, because all lines are taken. We'll have one available shortly, though, but uh, we're going to talk to Roz and Linda and Glenn and Robert. Roz is up first. Good morning, Roz. Good morning, Bob. So excited to get to talk to you this morning. Well, my uh, just pleasure. A just, a, just a couple questions for you. Um, I had to have some work done on the house, and they had to disrupt my rose bed uh, my okay. husband did put them up and put them in pots uh now that the work is over he put them back in the ground but as you can imagine they aren't looking real happy right now so we're going to put some super thrive on them but wasn't sure if you had any other recommendations to help our roses pull through well, I would both put, you know, uh, on the soil and then I would just make up a, you know, an application that you could just spray on the stems and on the foliage. I think a little Super Thrive would be good. I think a little uh, uh, liquid seaweed would be good. When you look at the outer stem covering on the roses, does it look shriveled? Does it look wrinkled up or is it still smooth and green? That's still smooth and green then we're in good shape. I'm real glad to hear that because roses simply cannot dry out. And, uh, well, you've heard me many times, I'm sure, tell people, you know, have the new hole dug out of the ground, back into the ground, in your case, out of the ground, into the pot, out of the pot, back into the ground. But so long as that is that uh, skin on the rose, hate to call it bark at this point, but as long as that outer covering remains smooth and green, your roses aren't in any great danger. They're already on the road to recovery. So um, 
I would mist a bit. I would water thoroughly whenever the soil is dry, about a knuckle deep, and they're hardly going to miss a beat. I bet six months from now, you never know they get transplanted. Well, so excited to hear that. One one other quick question. I have another bed that we planted in uh, blackberries and blueberries, and we have okay. them on a, um, on a drip irrigation system. I'm not sure that we're giving them quite enough water. Um, how often and how long do you think we should be um, irrigating those? Now, did you say dewberries or blueberries? Uh, blueberries. Okay, those are going to be tough to grow in this area at all. Blackberries, most varieties do well here, although there are some some blackberries that take more cold. But I would be watering. Uh, I would be watering your blackberries twice a week. Your blueberries need to be in a shady area, whereas your blackberries need to be in the sun. Your blueberries probably need to be watered every other day. And don't judge your success as a grower by how well you do with them, because not many people grow blueberries very well. I love them. I eat them almost daily, but they don't grow well for me. So... um uh, focus on the blackberries. Blackberries should be very heavy producers for you. They want a lot of sun. Water them a couple of times a week. Fertilize regularly. And with blackberries, it's important that after you do your spring's harvest, you go through with your pruning shears and the canes that produced fruit, go ahead and cut them all the way back to the ground because they're over and done with. And if you leave them there, they're just going to be thorny things that get in the way and they can actually cause you to get some diseases started. So uh, the, the thing that you'll watch with blackberries is that every spring they'll start putting on a whole lot of new growth uh, coming up and just growing everywhere. Those are actually the stems that are going to make next year's berries. The berries that you get are going to be on the canes that grew last year. So as they finish producing, you kind of have to put on heavy gloves. You have to sort through the canes. Take out the old ones that had berries, leave the new ones, but fertilizing, you know, probably at least monthly, even better every couple of weeks, watering a couple of times a week, and you'll do extremely well with your blackberries. Your blueberries, like I say, they want to be in a shady spot. The soil never wants to get real dry. When the soil is dry on the surface, time to water again, and you want to be sure you're growing in a mix that has a lot of compost in it. They like a very rich soil, having a lot of, uh, you don't have to about adding acidifiers that's uh, people pay way too much attention ph but if you have an adequate amount of organic material compost in the soil it releases humic acids it releases fulvic acids it releases really all the acidity that the blueberries need but uh, the combination of our alkaline water our high temperatures we'll just have to see how you do and if you find the secret to grow them well you're going to have to share it with the rest of us <laughs> well done, bob <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, but would Always. you recommend transplanting those um, blueberries since they need more shade than the blackberries do? If the blueberries are in, in full sun, yes, I would go ahead and transplant them to a shadier area. Morning sun is okay, but they will absolutely roast in July afternoon sun. So, uh, yeah, I'd get them before they get the roots too spread out. I'd get them into an area this morning sun, afternoon shade if you can. Well, I sure appreciate your help. Thank you so much, I Bob. sure Appreciate the call, Ross. You have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. Thank you. All right, next up is Linda. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I have a problem with uh, weeds in my rose bed, and I put mulch in in the bed, Uh usually in the spring, once a year. Um, 
but I still keep getting weeds and maybe I'm not putting enough mulch and I'm getting too old to be digging up weeds. And uh, <laughs> I didn't know if I should try uh, a ground cover that might crowd them out or... Not really. Um, you know, it's just... If you can garden without weeds, you're you're creating a miracle. In fact, my old friend Alton Grimm used to always talk about soils. He would say, I would worry about a soil that didn't have some weeds in it. So um, what specific kinds of weeds are you dealing with? Are you grassy weeds, dandelions? Uh, um, what, what sort of weeds are you primarily fighting? A lot of nutsedge. Okay. Well, nutsedge... On the one hand, you know, it's they've, you know, the the PR people have been and managed to convince us that if we have nutsedge, we're total failures as gardeners. The truth is that nutsedge does not really interfere with your other plants. In fact, old Malcolm Beck once told me the best, most beautiful field of corn he had ever seen was in a field of nutsedge. So, um, Nutsedge can be eliminated. It's not harming your roses in any way, but we eliminate nutsedge with strong molasses. Nutsedge uh, is basically a plant that likes real wet conditions. It likes anaerobic conditions. It, it just likes to stay, you know, in a in a very wet state. We find that if you will mix liquid molasses at the rate of about a fourth a cup of molasses to a gallon of water. Water the plants with that. It'll be good for your roses, and it will be bad for the nutsedge. It simply creates so much microbial life, the nutsedge can't handle it. Now, if, and it's not likely, if we get into a real wet period, there's nothing you're going to do about the nutsedge. But as we get into drier summer weather, if you will water it thoroughly with your molasses solution, give it about a month, make a second application, it doesn't all die out overnight, but you'll just suddenly notice that the nutsedge Nutsedge is yellowing and rotting, and all of a sudden it's gone. So, uh, nutsedge is not anything that really, you know, that's really anything to get super upset about. Certainly not something to uh, start ripping things out or anything. But a little, a little molasses, quarter of a cup per gallon of water, it will gradually rot your nutsedge away. Now, other weeds like dandelions and things like that, for Mother's Day, you could ask some special person in your life to give you something called a push-pull hoe, also known as a stirrup hoe. They're expensive because to get a decent one, uh, we have to get them out of Europe. Uh, but it's, it's imagine a, a regular handle, and then you've got this little sharp, not sharp enough to cut your skin or anything, but a fairly sharp blade that's in the shape of a stirrup, sort of a, oh, sort of rectangular. And it cuts on the push, and it cuts when you pull back, which is where the name push-pull hole comes from. You can reach uh, five feet underneath uh, a shrubs or roses or whatever else. And just with this gentle moving it back and forth action, I mean, I go up and down my rows of vegetables, and in five minutes, I can totally eliminate the weeds in a 40-foot row. And um, it's, like I say, unfortunately, they're expensive, but they're, uh, in my opinion, by far the best way to keep things like dandelions and uh, the little burrs and all kinds of crabgrass and things like that out of the beds. That will probably take you five minutes a week to totally eliminate it, any weeds that come up. But your nutsedge, go after that with your molasses mix and... Uh, you should be able to control it pretty easily. On the uh, mulch, uh, 
should I be putting it out there more than once a year? I would be maintaining a layer of mulch about an inch and a half thick. Now, it's going to break down over time. So it doesn't really matter how often you add it. If you, you know, if you're just adding a very thin layer, you may have to do it twice a year. But for me, usually once in the spring and I'm done until next spring. Okay. 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 So, and that push pull, uh, hoe, do y'all have that at y'all's store? We carry them, I'm sure. I don't think you'll find them at the box stores, but if you do, they're not going to be good quality. But uh, we keep them. I suspect Phanix keeps them. You, you'll find them at your better nurseries. But, yes, we, uh, <laughs> we, we, people are always reluctant. And then the next week, uh, <laughs> my friend from Diane from uh, Seguin would call, but she was just at her wit's end with little cedar elms and things coming up and uh, you'd think we'd saved her life once we put her in touch with one of those things but they they really are be sure you understand how they work and we might even find a bit out here with some weeds in it and let you try it out oh, but uh okay. they they're a gardener's dream don't ever loan it to anyone or you'll never get it back okay 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 well thank you very much well you are certainly welcome thank you for the call this morning linda we'll talk again all right back to gardening and uh golly it's a beautiful sunday morning out there (laughs) looking at people wandering around and enjoying the flowers and the fountains i sure hope you're gonna spend some of the day outside today and do remember next sunday is mother's day this would be a great day to get out and uh find some great gift for mom and uh one of your good area nurseries would be a real good place to go do some of that searching for the perfect gift uh, let's get back to the phone line. So we're going to talk to Glenn and Robert and Harry and Peggy. And Glenn is up next. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning, sir. Uh, one Good morning. Question. I've, I've got the 20% vinegar from you. I got the orange oil dishwashing soap um, to spray an area underneath an oak tree that is heavy mulch and but it's mainly grassy, uh, some vines and so on. But uh, I was told that you can't spray that. Well, unless it's in direct sun, uh, it won't work. Oh, that's incorrect. Uh, I spray it on cloudy days. I spray it in shady areas, and uh, it works fastest. I mean, if you want to see something shrivel and die in 10 minutes, yeah, that's going to happen out in the hotter, the brighter the sun, the faster it happens. But uh, believe me, it it works just fine in the shade, and it may be tomorrow before you see all the results, but you will definitely see the results. Um, how uh, how heavy do you spray it? You're just coating the foliage. It's not absorbed through the roots. We're not drenching in any way. So we're just uh, we're we're coating the foliage to the point that it's going to be dripping off the foliage, but uh, um, not not a not a drench by any means. That's all I needed to know, sir. Thank you for your time. You get out and enjoy today, and enjoy seeing dead weeds tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. <laughs> All right. Okay, next up is Robert. Good morning, Robert. Yeah, hello, Bob. Um, Hi there. I've got, a, uh, I've got a question for you on some yucca color guard uh, ca- okay. uh, cactus. And we uh, put a, a patio in, and we planted a bunch of these, uh, these in there. And um, they're not doing too well. And I was wondering if you can plant them too deep, like uh, some of the trees or the uh the uh there's a drainage issue or what do we need to do for those 
Well, you definitely uh, the the three things that color guard yucca needs, and it's it it is yucca. It's not a cactus. It's uh, true yucca. It needs lots of bright light. It needs soil that drains well. It wants to get pretty dry between waterings. And yes, it should it should not have that trunk. Uh, I guess we could call it a trunk on a yucca plant. It should not be buried too deeply. I have to say most of the time, if I see a problem with it, watering too frequently is the most common problem. Having the soil stay too wet uh, or lack of light. It, it, it certainly, being buried too deeply is going to create a problem over time. Staying too wet is going to create an immediate problem okay because i've got some of the center spikes are starting to kind of wither uh, a little bit and so uh maybe i am uh, uh overwatering them a little bit because they do well, get a lot of it- runoff from the roof yeah, and uh, remember what I always like to say, there's no such thing as overwatering, is, but there is watering too often. Because water doesn't kill anything, but if the soil stays so wet from runoff or from your addition, if it stays so wet that the water drives the oxygen out of the soil, that's what kills roots and ultimately does the plants in. So when you water those color guard yuccas, I mean, really, really soak them thoroughly. But once they're established, it may be a month before you have to water them again. Just uh, judge by the soil. When the soils, I'd let the soil dry an inch, inch and a half deep between waterings. But uh, uh, do get the soil pulled away back down to where you start seeing the first roots coming out. Because it's kind of like liriope or a lot of other things. If you get wet mulch, wet soil, wet whatever up above what the normal soil line should be, uh, the plants will not do well. Mm, okay. All right. Um, also, we planted a, 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 about eight or ten different fruit trees, apples, pears, and that kind of thing. And uh, mm-hmm. they've been in the ground for about two weeks, and we're kind of watering, watering them like on a um, every two-day period for uh, for right now. What's the what's the uh, progress for that? Should I uh, back off on that slowly as they get established? Well, once again, remember that when you water, water very thoroughly. In addition, if you could, three times a day, if you could walk out there with a hose and just spray water on the trunks and the limbs, while they are getting their roots reestablished, I don't know anything that benefits more from having the bark wet down. I mean, years ago when I worked with my old friend Alton Grimm up in the hill country, we would get in fruit trees, and Alton would have me spray them down six, eight times a day. He said, just every time you walk by that hydrant, turn on the hose and spray down the fruit trees. So moistening the bark is something that you could do multiple times a day if you had time to do it. Uh, When it comes to actually watering the soil, it's going to depend on how sunny it is, cloudy, how windy it is. It's going to depend on what the temperature is. So not really any way I can tell you every two days, every four days, but I will just tell you when you water, soak very thoroughly when you can stick your finger in at the ground right at the base of the tree uh, and it's dry about an inch deep, then it's time to water thoroughly again. And remember that fruit trees may be the most important tree out there that we uh, keep that root flare exposed. And so many of the fruit tree producers, they want to bury them up to the graft point, and that's usually about four inches too deep. So uh, uh, be sure that root flare is exposed. Watch your watering moisten those trunks and those trees should just you know jump into growth okay good well we followed your advice and we uh exposed the root flare and all that type of thing so are they pretty resilient will they bounce back if we uh 
uh, let them get too dry, or uh, should we always be sure they're they're a little bit moist? Or <laughs> well, uh, when it's dry on the surface, I would water again. Um, you know, it's it's just kind of like saying, how sick do I have to be and still be able to recover? Well, let's don't get sick in the first place. Yeah. So uh, um, just, you know, if you are watering thoroughly when you're watering, I don't think you're going to have to worry about them getting too dry. Just feel that soil and, uh, um, you know, judge from that. And you said you planted uh, apples and pears. Which other ones did you plant? Uh, peaches, plums, and figs. Okay, your figs are going to want to stay especially moist. A fig tree, I mean, you could almost water a fig tree daily, and it would love it. It it is the thirstiest of the trees that you mentioned. Um, The apples and pears, once they are established and growing, I'm going to want to let them get a little drier than I do the peaches and plums. Apples and pears, if you keep them too wet, they're going to be more susceptible to bacterial fire blight, which you do not want to get. And uh, peaches and uh, plums are just right in the middle. They don't... They don't want to stay soggy wet, but they don't want to ever really get dry. So um, your fig is going to be the one I'm going to be most careful with. Uh, but none of, none of them want to get bone dry. But, you know, a year from now when you're getting a watering schedule set up, um, the apples and pears are going to get it about half as often as the peaches and plums. Right now, while they're just getting started, you don't want to let any of them get too dry. Oh, okay. Is it time since they've just been in the ground a week or so, uh, should we pr- uh, do any pruning right now? Uh, they're only about six feet tall or so, and should or should we wait till the spring? I would probably wait till fall at least. Now, the exception is if anything tries to sprout out below the graft point, take that off the day you see it because we don't want the rootstock putting on vegetation. It will steal nutrients, steal energy from the top of the tree. But as far as your major pruning, were these trees bare-rooted or were these trees in containers when you planted them? Uh, They were in containers. And did they have reasonable root system when you put them in the ground? Yeah, they looked uh, looked pretty good, and we you know put a little fertilizer and green sand and a bunch of stuff in the in the uh, in the hole. So we think we've got them off to a good start. Yeah, I probably would prune them late summer, early fall, uh, especially again the peaches and plums, apple trees pruning to a very minimum, pear trees pruning to a very minimum, fig trees don't really care one way or the other. But with the peaches and plums, getting them off to the proper shape, uh, the first year pruning is probably the most important you do. And what you're going to do is you're going to select, and you can go ahead and look at it any time. I'm just going to let them get a little better established before I get the shears out. But imagine the trunk as the axle and the limbs as the spokes on a wheel. You will want either three or four limbs becoming your major limbs. You're going to want them radiating out, you know, reasonable spacing around the tree. And then you're going to cut off the top above that, and you're going to cut off every other limb radiating out. Because we want like like three to four major limbs coming out because long-term, the shape that we would like a peach tree and pretty much a plum too. Uh, we want the shape of a martini glass. We want the shape of a goblet. Uh, your pears and apples, we're going to have to let them get a little bit more upright because that's simply the way they grow. But that first year pruning on your peaches and plums is going to be probably the most important you will ever do. And I'd look at doing that uh, probably August or so. You can do it as early as June if you want to. If you feel like your trees, if a month from now your trees are really looking good, 
go ahead and do your pruning at that time. Otherwise, let's uh, let's do it into the summer, into the fall, so that when they start coming out next spring, they'll be putting the growth in the area that you want them to. Okay, that's great. One last question on nutgrass. Is there anything we can do uh, to control nutgrass besides uh, mechanical? Well, as I was just telling previous caller, molasses, uh, let's call it nut sedge because it's not a grass. It is a sedge. As a sedge, it likes really wet, really anaerobic soil. And uh, we find that molasses creates so much microbial activity that the nut sedge can, simply can't handle it. So put about a quarter of a cup of molasses to a gallon of water. Saturate the area where you have your nut sedge. Repeat it in four to six weeks, and you should see your nut sedge just slowly yellow and rot away and uh, be you know let the area dry properly between waterings because nutsedge would love to grow in standing water and if we should not likely but if we should move into one of those periods where it just rains every day for two weeks you're never even going to think about controlling nutsedge under those situations but moving into our typically drier summer you can get them totally under control with molasses and water okay well bob thank you very much we always enjoy your show all right, back to gardening, and it's going to be Harry and Peggy and Dan and Cheryl, and Harry is up first. Good morning, Harry. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Avocado, it's a, the name on the tag says Saxon, Saxon and Beck- Sons. Uh, that's just the grower. That's not the name of the avocado. Well, some of it's dying, and some of it's growing at the lower tree that could not Top it off and keep You it. might as Yeah, any any wood that's actually dead, uh there's no reason to leave it on. And of course avocados, like most fruit trees, uh they're gonna produce more as a bush than they are in a tree shape. So uh, uh I wouldn't take off any healthy foliage. That tree needs every healthy leaf it has you know, to carry on photosynthesis to provide energy for the tree. But anywhere that's dead, anywhere that the foliage is going away, yeah, you might as well go ahead and cut that off. Right. Uh, okay, I talked to Fanix last week. Do you guys, our local place is closed. Do you guys ship grown green? We don't. I'm not here in Italia. I'm trying to find a place to get some growing green. Um, I suspect your feed store should be open, and most good feed stores can certainly have the grow and green for you. Uh, they, they buy from the same distributors, uh, that Medina distributes for. You could always call Medina's home office over in Hondo, get it off their website, medinaag.com, and they might know someone who would be carrying it close to you, but, uh, wherever you've got a feed store, they could order it for you and uh, because I'm sure they buy from Adams and BWI the big distributors all of whom carry Medina and uh, they should be able to get it for you without any problem it's just it's a heavy product and it makes it you know where you pay you know more for shipping than you would for the product and it's not you could almost hire Uber to go pick it up for you for what it would cost to ship it but I'll bet you've got a feed store somewhere around Italia that uh, uh, that would certainly if they don't have it they'd sure be able to get it for you are you at the store right now? Yes, I am. I'm broadcasting from, uh, oh, the southeast. I hear the phone ringing. you got a lot of business going on. <laughs> we, got, we got puppies wandering around on the deck. The phone's ringing, and it's, uh, oh, you hear the wind chimes. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, 
I guess it might be a little distracting to some people, but boy, compared to sitting in a sort of sterile studio, no offense, Chris, I've got a phenomenal engineer back in the studio, but it's a whole lot more fun to be broadcasting here looking out at the garden. So, yeah, we always have fun doing this. Yes, sir. So I I work in a little meat market here in Devon, and we're booming, and y'all are booming there. Some people are booming, and some people are not. Well, we're blessed to have uh, the support that we have, and we're very thankful that we have... uh, (laughs) Oh, my gosh. There are two of the cutest puppies on earth are sitting here looking in the window at me. And, uh, yeah, we're very we're very blessed uh, to be doing all we're doing. Very thankful to be able to. The, the little ones are waving at me. Looks like a little probably five weeks old. Six weeks old. <laughs> this is just uh, a lot of fun. And, uh, of course, we're trying to keep everybody safe over at KTSA. So they've asked all the talk show hosts to broadcast from home or, in this case, from a remote location. But it definitely has its advantages. So uh, glad you're doing well and uh, glad you're out there helping all of your clients because you are very definitely an essential industry as well, Harry. So keep up the good work yes, and call me when I can help God you. Bless. Thank you, sir. You as well. Okay, next up is going to be Peggy. Good morning, Peggy. Well, good morning. Good morning. I was I was wondering if you could tell me anything good about Malta star thistles. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like I say about cedar. The only good cedar is a mulch or a fence post, but... Um, I, know, I guess yeah. I guess uh, if I had, uh, <laughs> it's kind of like the, the the curmudgeon that somebody said, well, he did one good thing in his life, he died. Uh, yeah. But if there's one good thing about Maltostar thistles, the butterflies love them. And uh, it's true, yeah. even more true, the big old Russian thistles. But I have no use for Maltostar thistle. And the only good Maltostar thistle in my book is a dead one. But uh, uh, it's... It, What's the best way to get them that way? I I have pulled until I'm, you know, uh, my yard is what you might call a wildscape. We're out in the country. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I can, I'm pretty much can pull them in the yard. But out in the pasture, is there any way to keep those things from spreading or? uh, Well, the the problem with Baltic star thistle is the first seed it makes, it makes two of them right down at ground level. So if something cuts off the top, it's still got seeds there to come back. Like so many things, ideally, if we could get the native grasses in good shape, they would choke it out. Maltostar thistle is not a strong plant. So uh, do you run cattle, do you raise hay, or do you just enjoy your land? Uh, Mostly we just enjoy it. We have a couple of cows. It's it, If you can, even on small acreage, if you can get into rotational grazing and uh, just almost overdo it with fertilizer and molasses and things like that, uh, coastal or just about any good grass will ultimately choke out the star thistle. And okay. uh, rotational grazing is just the, the best way on earth of maintaining your land. So if uh-huh. you're able to do that and uh, you don't have to build fences, you can just do uh, electric fence and nowadays electric electric fence doesn't even have to be wire it can be a braided polypropylene rope that's got the little electric wires through it so 
Huh? Yeah, it's uh, you know it's always the problem with creating little paddocks instead of pastures is of course having good water in each one of your different ones. But if you can manage, I have a friend that at one point uh, he had daughters for his horses and he had no grass. He had just a five acre mud patch, and even with five acres, I got him to divide it into four sections and rotate his horses through it. And all of a sudden, he had good grass in all four areas. Really? So, okay. yeah, the uh-huh. best the best cure for most weeds is just grass strong enough to choke it out and the best way to get grass uh, unless you have some magic way to make it rain more often uh, the rotational <laughs> grazing is just really really important okay well thank you uh, one another quick question um, I have been given some Hoya plants uh-huh. and I've had them for a year and um, I, what's the secret to getting those to bloom a lot of maturity and a lot of sun. Hoyas, a lot of sun. Okay. okay. Yeah, they, they're inside. No, um, I've okay. had them on a, under a covered porch, but this year I've moved them around to the east side of the house. Yeah, ideal and place would be would be. Yeah, sun in the morning, shade in the afternoon. Okay. And. Um, uh, they, you know, some of them are really slow. The Hindu rope, the one with the kind of curled up leaves, is very slow. But uh, once they get large enough to bloom, you know, one of the secrets is they put out that little that little stem. It's called a stipe, I believe, and then it has a whole little cluster of blooms on the end of it. Don't uh-huh. ever cut that little stem off because it'll put on three or four sets of blooms on the same little stem. The blooms will really? grow. They'll be beautiful. They'll age. They'll drop off, and you. You see this little half-inch nub or inch-long nub, depending on the plant, and you think, oh, it's not going to do anything more, snip it off. Don't do that because it'll form a whole new set of buds several times on the same little spot. And uh, Hoyas like to be root-bound. They like to be in a fairly small container. They like to get dry on the surface but never bone dry. They like to be fed regularly. I'd be giving them some has to grow plant every couple of weeks. But like I say, good sunlight, outside, morning sun, afternoon shade, and uh, you will very definitely get uh, get blooms on them. But uh, they need, I find, and, and you know, they're bush hoyas as well as vining hoyas. The ones we see most of by far are the are the vining types. But I yeah, find once good. those, yeah, once those vines get to be, Oh, 18 to 24 inches long. They're big enough to bloom, and they should bloom off and on all summer for you. Oh, right. Well, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> oh, and they're such pretty little flowers. Some of them are beige. Most of them are pink, sometimes pink with the darker center. And uh, Hoyas are just fascinating plants. And uh, just just don't put them in too big a pot. And uh, like I say, give them enough sunlight. No hot afternoon sun, but morning sun is good. And uh, I'll bet you, bet you have flowers showing up pretty soon. Well, great. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Thank you, Peggy. Okay, Chris, let's get our last break of the show out of the way. We'll finish up with Dan and Cheryl and see if we have time for any more. All right, we're going to visit with Dan and Cheryl, and if I wind up with a couple of extra minutes here, I do have several gardening things I would like to share with you, but uh, remember, too, don't forget, I know we got a lot on your mind with everything that's going on right now, but don't forget that next weekend is Mother's Day, and uh, we all owe it to all the ladies in our life, whether it's your mom, whether it's a mom of your children, whether it's a mom-to-be, or whether it's just a lady out there who's somebody's mom, everybody deserves something on Mother's Day, and that's next Sunday. 
Sunday and uh, where you can, where you have the opportunity, find something sweet for them. Bake them something if you can't afford to go out and buy something right now. But uh, anyway, just don't forget Mother's Day next Sunday. Right now, back to the phone lines, and it is Dan's turn. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I'm well, thank you. How about yourself? Oh, it's a beautiful day. I enjoyed it. Good. Uh, I have I have a couple of questions. Uh, one is I bought a I got a little uh, chili pecan plants, mm-hmm. and they were in a small pot, and I went ahead and repotted them in a large pot. Okay. And I used it as a potting mix. Is that all right? That's fine, but now I don't ever like to see a small plant move to a giant pot. I always recommend moving up gradually. If your plants were in four-inch pots, I would have maybe moved them to a two-gallon container, but not to a whiskey barrel unless you're putting several of them in the pot. If you got your chili pekins in a gallon container, then, yes, you could go up into a much bigger pot. But uh, it's frequently a mistake uh, to go from a little bitty pot to a great big pot because it's you just have to watch your watering very very carefully these were pretty well established they have uh the trunks on must say probably maybe uh as large as my small finger okay so they're pretty good size or you know pretty well established uh-huh and one question i had too is some of the little sprouts or the stems are sticking way up above the rest of them do you anytime need to prune those or keep those short that is strictly for your benefit, and it's really just cosmetic. I, you know, with chili pekins and chili patines both, the bigger the plant is, the more peppers you're going to get, and that's just sort of their growth habit. They produce, like all all hot peppers, they like hot weather. In the spring, they're going to be produced uh, short, I'd almost call them stunted stems, and boy, you give us some hot days, and all of a sudden you get these much longer stems coming up. That's perfectly normal. And there's absolutely no reason to cut them back unless you're just trying to change the shape of the plant for any reason. I just put the pruning shears away. I'd focus on watering properly, fertilizing regularly, and figuring out what you're going to do with all those little hot peppers. Yeah, they're they're good. I like. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, is there any? I notice that potting soil is mainly just kind of like a mulch. Uh, do they have any kind of any kind of uh, soil in there? Or? Um, it's important that it drain. Uh, different companies add different things to it. Uh, I like a good compost base. I don't like peat moss. I don't mind having some fibrous material like core or even, uh, you know, some ground hardwood material in it. Maybe even a little bit of lava sand. But it just, it shouldn't, it should never feel muddy. It should never have a lot of clay in it and the water should drain on through. Okay. One, one other question I have. I have. A, I live out here in Leon Springs. Yes, sir. And I've got a large oak tree, probably about two, two feet in diameter. And it has started leaning over because it's got some large limbs sticking out. Uh-huh. The, the tree is now leaning down to where I've been here 50 years. And it's leaned over probably three feet. Uh, has, has collapsed, so to speak. Is there anything I can stop that or what I can do to stop that? Is it is it growing away from shade? Does it look like it's you know is it is it leaning trying to get more out in the sun? Because yeah. uh, 
Okay. No, the only way that you can change that is to remove whatever is shading it. If it's got another tree shading it, uh, you could trim on that other tree because obviously the tree has to have light. That's what leaves are all about. The more light it gets onto the leaves, the more sugar it makes. That's what the health of the tree is based on. And it's always going to put its new growth toward the sunniest area. So, uh, uh, if there's anything you can do to increase the amount of light on the back side of the tree, you can certainly do that. But beyond that, no, just let it let it do its thing. I've got, uh, well, it, it gives the trees what uh, we refer to as character, but that's a perfectly normal thing for a big old heritage tree and certainly not a sign of a problem. Yeah, this has uh, some pretty good-sized limbs sticking yeah, out. Yeah, I bet it does. I'll bet it does. Support those are keep it from leaning down more but well you can so you can support the limbs and that will help hold the limbs up but the the limbs are not pulling the tree over i mean that uh the amount of strength in that trunk and in the root system is just absolutely amazing you would find let's say and i i wouldn't want you to do this but let's say mother nature you know broke the ends of those limbs out you would see the limbs rise up but you wouldn't see the trunk straighten one iota so uh you can support those limbs if you want, but it's not going to make the trunk more upright. It's just going to make the limbs a little bit more above the horizontal plane. Okay, Bob. Thank you so much. Yeah, can I have a little more? One more question. Uh, yeah, we've got six minutes here, so I can give you one to two more minutes. Okay, I've got a Myers lemon tree that I planted probably four or five years ago, and that thing—it's a—it's actually a, a grafted tree. Uh-huh. And it hasn't grown hardly any. I had one How bloom often? on it right the first year, and then I haven't had any blooms on it at all since then. How much sun does it get, and how often are you fertilizing it? It's it's wide open. It's in a, a full sun. And how and often are you fertilizing? Quite <laughs> you're you're like telling me uh, my puppy's not growing. I haven't been feeding him, but he's not growing. <laughs> you you start feeding that Myers lemons every couple of weeks with a good liquid fertilizer like Haster Grow Plant or something like that, and you'll get lots of good growth in the near future. But uh, uh, you know, plants are just like animals. If you want them to grow well, they've got to eat, and a good organic fertilizer is what they're hungry for. Yeah, well, you know, I use those spikes for a long time. Yeah, no, those are the biggest waste of time. They do more damage than good. Yeah, didn't do any good at all. Bob, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoy your approach. (laughs) Always a pleasure, Dan. You get out and have a good Sunday, and we'll finish up the show with Cheryl. Good morning, Cheryl. Good morning, Bob. I have a couple questions. I have a question about a Monterey oak, but first I would like to ask you, if you have any strategies for taking care of our uh, common arch nemesis, the bushy-tailed tree rat. I have uh, <laughs> one of those squirrels is chewing off the bulbs off of my landscaping lights outside mm-hmm. that are hanging that I love. And my yeah. husband saw him do it. And then I think he's the same one that's running along the fence line and taunting me. And I would like to know if there's something that we can do to discourage him from doing that. He's already 25 of my bulbs. 
Well, uh, Mr. Bushytail Tree Rat or Ms. Bushytail Tree Rat needs to go somewhere else to live. A lot of people would suggest that that be Squirrel Paradise, wherever that is, and they would accomplish it with uh, a, a quiet pellet gun or something like that. I tend to use a live trap, and they go to the nearest park or somewhere where they're not going to cause any problems. I trap them, and my biggest problem in my garden is the Black Mountain Rock Squirrel. The arboreal squirrels are just as bad and just need to go somewhere else as well. I use a live trap, and um, I've, I've used different things. I sometimes use the cattle cubes that I feed my, my livestock, but probably the single best bait that I have found, I go to a nature store, and I buy these ears of corn like some people put out to feed the squirrels. I take my hand, and I break you know, a handful of the corn kernels free and that's what i'm going to put when i set my live trap i actually put the bait on the ground underneath it and then set the trap on top of it uh the squirrel comes in and starts digging trying to get to the corn and voila the door falls down and the squirrel is on its way to its new home 10 miles away okay well is there anything i could spray on the wires so that that they don't like the taste of maybe if i can't um hot pepper you know, get the hottest peppers. If you can find some uh, habaneros or, you know, the hottest pepper you can find, wear your plastic dishwashing gloves or whatever kind of gloves and just throw it in the blender and spray that around the area. It'll burn their nose. It'll burn their tongue. And until it washes off, it will stop them. But uh, I know of no other repellent that really works against them. Okay. All right. And then um, I have a Monterey, we have a Monterey oak that we planted a couple of years ago. It seems to be doing great. It's about 15 uh-huh. feet tall. Um, uh-huh. And I know I'm not supposed to cut any of the branches yet, but we have some little leaves and things growing up the the the, uh, the trunk of the tree now. Sure. Is it okay to and- cut those? Well, you always, when the tree is young, you would love to have leaves up and down the trunk because every leaf is just like a little sugar factory pumping nutrient into the trunk of the tree. You don't want them to make major limbs, though. What I do with a young tree like that, every fall, every winter, I go through and I cut all those little side limbs back to where they're about four or five inches long and just let them come out and make leaves, you know, every year. And then once the trunk of that tree gets up to be six inches in diameter, so then I'll cut those little side limbs all the way off. But in the meantime, we call it trashy trunk. Love seeing the leaves up and down the trunk because the trunk's going to develop much more quickly that way and much stronger. Wonderful, wonderful. All right. Well, thank you, Bob. Great questions. Great questions. Thank you, Cheryl.